So it doesn't matter who I talk to on the show, whether it's actors, whether it's writers, whether it's directors, whether it's producers, uh, everybody says the same thing. We are all curious to see what the future holds for entertainment. Uh, will theaters stay alive? Will the movie-going experience uh, be anything other than a giant uh, actor-packed uh, blockbuster comic book adventure? Um, and will everything just end up streaming? Will everything just be sent to your television at home? And if that's the case, then what is the state of streaming productions and how will they work? Uh, as a filmmaker, I've talked on the show with cinematographers that shoot uh, series on streaming uh, services. I've talked to crew people that have worked on them, uh, and they all say the same thing, that it's exciting to work on. Uh, a lot of these concepts wouldn't exist otherwise, but oh my goodness, are they exhausting? Are they an exhausting thing to work on? Um, and... Uh, I really want to continue to explore this because I'm curious myself as a director, right? I prefer, I enjoy uh, films and narrative films. I enjoy working within the confines of a set runtime. I like the idea of texturing and filling each and every one of my frames with as much uh, subtext and theme and symbolism as I possibly can. And I feel from the outside looking in that when I look at TV series, the main focus of them is character, which I think is wonderful. There are things that you can do in long running TV series that I could never do in film. TV series, did I say TV series is? Can you tell that I've had like three calls and two podcasts today? Woo! Um, but in a film, there's no way that I could, uh, with the same amount of texture, sort of develop a character from birth to death the same way that they do on like a seven series TV show, right? Uh, have a character confront multiple watershed moments, multiple situations in which they may turn complete 360 in their belief system and how they handle the world and then have to turn another 180, uh, you know, two series later or two seasons later. I think that stuff is fascinating. I like that stuff. But I also feel that long-running shows suffer from uh, the intense schedule, the limited budgeting, and just like the runaway train production aspect of things. So I'm curious about it. And I've made a lot of these assessments from the outside. Sure, I've had access to talk to crew. Sure, I've had access to talk to folks um, that have written and, and been a part of this thing, but never have I had on this show a TV showrunner, right? Now, how many of you know what a showrunner is or what a showrunner does? Uh, when you see that title come up on screen, do you just sit there and go, that's just somebody who says yes or no? That's a position of power. Is that a producer? Do they have director duties? Uh, are they making decisions on story and on props? Like, what does a showrunner do? And uh, being that I've never worked in TV, that I've never worked on a TV show, I've just tried to put those pieces together from what I understand from the film world, where if I looked at it, I'd say, well, a showrunner sounds like a producer. It sounds like someone that is 
<laughs> desperately trying to pilot this giant ship through the through the rocky waves and deliver literally hand deliver the footage to the network that's what it seems like and uh from a film world one would assume that a producer comes from like the knit and the grit of being on the ground coming up with crews coming up with directors and sort of being there to pull it together you know the same way that a film producer would on a shoot but then you start to hear that a lot of these showrunners are writers which in the beginning was slightly confusing to me i'm like how does that make sense um but then as i think about it more it's like well the shows are more about character and they're more about character arc and controlling that arc so it makes sense that you would want a showrunner that knew how to if not has written uh the series and the episodes someone that is guiding that ship it's interesting and then we all hear that television is a writer's medium so i wanted to get to the truth of it because all of that is speculation right that's me trying to figure it out from the outside um so i did a little research i looked around i looked for a showrunner that had done uh shows that i like you know because i want to be able to get a little excited and fanboy about specific episodes and stuff um and so today's guest i'm excited to have her uh she worked on preacher she worked on gossip girls uh she worked on rake and most recently was the showrunner on i know what you did last summer the series for amazon i am talking about sarah goodman she is a writer and a showrunner and she is uh 100 honest about what the job entails and what she does with this so by the end of this episode you're going to have absolutely no question uh when it comes to what does a tv showrunner do before we get into it i just want to say hello and welcome you're listening to the brand new episode of in love with the process i of course am your host mike petchy how are you what is happening grab a seat grab a beer maybe we got some sandwiches kicking around would you like one of those make yourself comfortable how are you doing how are you are you keeping sane are you staying creative i am uh <laughs> once again in this world that i live in i am trying to reset the rules for myself i am trying to find a new center of gravity i'm trying to find a new creative force in my life um and i'll get into that more at the end of the show um but yeah, things are good. Things are good. Learning new things, pushing ahead. It's good. It's all good. It's all good, baby. <laughs> um, but thank you everybody for following me on Instagram at Mike Petchy. You're following the podcast at Love with the Process POD on Instagram. I have been putting up all sorts of materials, promoting episodes of the show, uh, promoting my work, showing you stuff that I've been working on, stuff that Gene has been working on, stuff that my friends have been working on. Um, and then celebrating life and food and, and travel, all sorts of fun stuff. And if you uh, want a great supplement to the podcast that you're listening to now, uh, my Instagram accounts are, are a great place for that. Or you can go to inlovewiththeprocess.com and there you can uh, follow on today's episode page. I usually put up supplement material, um, trailers for the series. If you haven't seen them before, I highly suggest Preacher, by the way. I fucking love that show. Made me laugh. I was very excited with their filmmaking techniques. 
Uh, I love that show. I think it's really, really great. Um, so I'll have all that stuff up on loveoftheprocess.com. Well, let's not delay it, right? Let's get right into it. So you know the deal? Strap on those noise-canceling headphones, crank them up to 11. Uh, maybe you grab something to write down some notes, maybe not. But prepare yourself to have your mind blown a bit, and your world open to what it's like to be a showrunner on the brand new episode of In Love With The Process. Hey, Sarah, thanks for being on the show. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for having me. Uh, like I was saying off air, I'm very excited to have you here. I'm, uh, I've got a lot of questions for you. I'm a huge fan of a lot of the series that you've worked on. Um, and I know my audience is curious about showrunners. You, you're going to be the first showrunner that we've had on the show. So we've, we haven't gone into this yet. So I'm excited. Wow. Yes. That's very exciting. <laughs> no one will want to be a showrunner after this. <laughs> <laughs> trial by fire here we go <laughs> um, so <clears throat> let's let's let me just like jump right into it um how did how did you get started in this business like how did you how'd you get in um the business business part of it actually it was all accidental which which is hard to believe but I was working um in Chicago uh, for the mayor's office of special events. And then the mayor got ousted huh. and, and I ended up being a production assistant on, on, um, TV, like commercials and industrials. And, um, then home alone came to film. I'm aging myself. Home alone <laughs> came to shoot in Chicago and they needed a casting assistant and I literally like faxed my resume. 
Uh-huh. And um, was hired as the casting assistant on Home Alone. And then decided that I should just move to Los Angeles. Um, (laughs) I know. (laughs) Uh, The the casting director at the time offered me a job in Los Angeles. But when I got here, she offered me half the amount of money she had been paying me. So um, I politely declined since I had to pay my rent and (laughs) ended up working for another casting director um, on a movie called Soap Dish. Uh Uh-huh. Yep. Um, and the director of that movie, Michael Hoffman, had never had an assistant. And I really didn't like casting. And I asked if I could be his assistant. So I was both of the, their assistants for that movie. Um, but at the end of that movie, he was doing a different project. And he asked if I would come uh, just sit with him while he wrote. And we ended up writing it together. It, it was not something that got made and made me realize that um, that is what I wanted to do with every fiber of my being mm. was, <laughs> was, was right. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so that is what, you know, there were some obviously many, many odd jobs in the middle, but sure. so then I started writing, um, you know, first movies, I got paid to write lots of movies that didn't get made. And then, um, an executive I was working with, uh, was transitioning to television and said to me, you know, you would just love TV. It's all characters, just mm-hmm. all character, character, character. And, and you have so much more, um, power getting to the showrunner part. Yep. Um, yep. Yep. <laughs> and, and so I made that transition. And the first pilot I wrote was a show called reunion that I didn't have to do with, uh, once it was getting made, but really, um, did show me that I wanted to do TV. And so everything kind of went from there. Um, I, they hired me on gossip girl as a consulting producer. I'd never been on anyone else's show. And by the end, by the last season, I was running it, you know, with Stephanie and um, Josh Schwartz. And so I got what I like to call the highest paid internship in uh, (laughs) the world. (laughs) That's cool. That's really cool. Yeah. Um, so, well, well, hold on. Let me let me pump the brakes before you yeah. continue here, because uh, let's go back to casting for Home Alone. What was that like? Are you <laughs> are you just sorting through like cute kid videos at that point? Like, what were you looking? Yeah, at? they weren't. By the way, casting was so different back then. Everyone came to a casting office. There was no self tapes. Mm-hmm. Um, there there were no iPhones. <laughs> so, I, um, yeah. And basically we looked at tons of pictures and then saw in person, just tons and tons of kids. Oh, so yes, yeah, yes. I can only imagine. <laughs> can only it was imagine. amazing. <laughs> tons of parents who brought their kids. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and talk about like the golden role role for a child at that point. Like that oh, movie yeah. blew him up. He was so big for that movie. Oh um, yeah, I mean, that was it. It was a. It was it was quintessential. <laughs> so when you when you uh, started that first uh, film that you helped writing with, had, did you have writing experience before that? Did you have any writing experience? Um, I did not have any professional or formal writing training. I No, I had none. I had read in my job, I had read hundreds and hundreds of scripts because mm-hmm. things were being um, sent to us. 
So things that were in development, things that were in production, all kinds of, I was, I just read a tremendous amount. And I always, from the time I was a little kid wrote just for myself, but mm-hmm. I grew up in Michigan and people don't become writers. It's not, it's just <laughs> not like a job that, mm-hmm. <laughs> that you could actually do. You know, it, it doesn't even occur to me that that was something I could do. What was uh, growing up in Michigan like? Cold. <laughs> <laughs> Where did you grow up? I grew up in Boston. So, yes. I, right. the, yes. It's cold. <laughs> yes. yes. It's in my blood. The cold is in my blood. That's why I've got a huge beard still. I'm out here in Los Angeles sweating my, <laughs> sweating <laughs> That's my gut. Right. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's okay. You can't see me, but I have like a big fluffy jacket like that I will or won't put on at any moment that I'm sitting on. <laughs> So, yeah. So was growing up in Michigan fun? Was family life fun? Like, uh, how was all that stuff? No, I think, I don't know how many, you haven't talked to showrunners, but I don't know how many writers you've talked to. Most writers probably didn't have, like, fun childhoods. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, You know, (laughs) know, (laughs) we like to use our... um, our uh, Real dysfunction. Life. Yeah, yeah. Our, yeah. We like to use those the, those <laughs> dysfunctional childhoods um, for as material. So it was it was you know it was very suburban. Um, it looked very um, normalish on the outside. I have three sisters, um, and three of us were in high school together at the same time. It was it was ugly. but but it was also um yeah i mean it was it was sheltered but but um you know you you did see a very different part of the world than what you see like if you're living in los angeles obviously or you know even new york anywhere on the coast you know it's it's very different. And I think that experience is hugely impactful as well as, you know, valuable. Yeah. Yeah. I would assume, I, I feel the same way, you know, like growing up on the East coast and, and being far away from the entertainment business, which I feel like growing up in the entertainment business is like this weird sort of surreal, strange, like meta yeah. thing that happens. Actually yeah. being in a space where you're around real people, real, real things that I'm constant as a filmmaker myself. I'm constantly drawing upon all that stuff, the people that I grew up with, and and uh, the stories from that area. Um, so, yeah, there, I mean, for me, it's more interesting. I don't know about you, but for me, it's more interesting. This is it's a very insular, insulated yeah. world here. So, yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. Okay, so that's cool. So then you had an opportunity to basically learn while doing, which I always yes. I, I love those stories. Those are good stories. <laughs> Um, and so what was that first writing process like? Were you just, you know, figuring out structure and, and working your way through it? Like how did, how did, how did that first thing feel? Um, the one I did with that director or just by myself? Well, let's start with the one that the first time you were writing, which was with that director, right? Because you're jumping in. Yeah. Yeah. And at first it, I, We've only been on for a couple of minutes, but I have a hard time keeping my mouth shut when I don't agree with something. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, skills that has taken me far. Um, but it's so, so he just wanted me to sit there and I, that was just not going to happen. Right. And, um, and also it wasn't really what our relationship was. So what started to happen was I started to feel like the character would or wouldn't do something. Mm. And so it really came from that um, 
that I started to to start to like hear what the way that characters spoke or feel what characters would do in certain situations, back things up so that you're not just, you know, as you know, as a filmmaker, ju- if you're just going through the plot, you know, right. you miss the good parts. Of course. The, the plot's course. there for me to serve the rest of it. And so, um, so really that's what it came from was, was feeling like certain choices were more and less genuine or more and less, more or less interesting. Mm. Um, and, and kind of weighing in there. Um, yeah, the structure was probably, I like that it, and I don't, maybe you do too. I like that, that, that film and television has an external structure that's imposed on you Mm. because my brain, like, I don't think I could write a book. Right, right, right. You get those, you get the parameters. I mean, as a director, that's what I love is that the the parameters are set because otherwise, you know, you walk into a dark room and you're like, what, what, what happens in this room? <laughs> like, if it, Anything it, could happen. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> the existence, like years I spent uh, as a cinematographer and I would dread going into studio spaces that had no source or like no no point of, of, of source for stuff. And I'd be like, okay, it's a dark room. Let's just turn on a light. <laughs> you know what I mean? And that, <laughs> yeah. that within itself is incredibly scary where you're like, oh, okay, how do we build this? <laughs> Uh, but building yeah. a fence around and having structure uh, really sort of corrals, at least with me, it corrals like these crazy ideas or crazy things that I want to go do. And I'm like, okay, but it's got to fit into this fucking thing. So, you know what I mean? Exactly. Yeah. 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 yeah and yeah. for me, that's like my brain is way too ADD all over the place to fit into, to, to create that fence. Yeah. So, yeah. so I like that. I like that to feel like, oh, I want to push against it, but. I also love that it's there. Yeah. yeah. It's that complaining, like, for Christ's sakes, why do we have to fit this far? And then at the end of the day, you go, thank God. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, So, uh, all right. All right. So then you're, you're, you're learning, you're learning about the boundaries and you're, you're playing in that world and you're getting an opportunity. So fast forward to um, you starting to write on your own, like what sort of stories pull you in? Like what, 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 what do you gravitate towards? Um, it's so funny because I think the the only thing that everything I've written probably has in common is there's some sort of emotional or physical violence. It's not always physical violence, but <laughs> there's, there is some emotional violence. There's also a sense of humor, but, um, I do like, uh, very flawed. I like pathos. I like pathology. I like, um, characters who are, uh, you know, not uh, quite trustworthy. Yeah. yeah, those are always the interesting people in real life, anyways. The shifty ones, of course. Yes, yes. us. Yes, <laughs> the shifty ones. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, yeah, because you worked you worked on Preacher. I fucking love that show. Oh yeah, that show is so great. <laughs> oh yeah. That show I love is that show too. just like boisterous and fun <laughs> and violent and like the yeah. characters are so wonderful. I, I, how many episodes of that did you did you work on? I worked on every single episode of that show. <laughs> Hell yeah. Except the, for the very first, they shot the pilot. We did reshoots of the pilot once I was on. But um, yeah, I worked on every episode, which I think was, I think we did 13 the first season and then 10 the the second, third, and fourth season. Um, 
So I knew Sam Catlin from when I worked on the show Rake. Uh-huh. We worked on it together. And uh, and so he hired me to come, you know, do that show with him. And it was a why. I mean, that I love that show. It's a cool Great show. Time. It's a, it's a, and it's a, it's got rewatchability, which I fucking love. And the, you know, from a director standpoint, the, like the, the visual storytelling techniques that were using it, I really love too. It, it felt like that show is kind of pushing the boundaries of uh, television to a, to, to a certain aspect, you know? Yeah. It, I mean, we got, it's so interesting how what we could get what we figured out how to get away with talking about that fence again on preacher that was one of the challenges and the fun parts of the show in terms of okay we're not allowed to do this so how are we going to shoot it so that everyone knows we're doing it anyway even though we're not <laughs> showing you exactly yeah. we're doing i mean the good the, the best example is we are not allowed to have a strap-on dildo. So we had a strap-on fist. <laughs> <laughs> you could have a strap-on fist, but you could not have a strap-on, you know, uh, penis. <laughs> <laughs> so much fun to work around that, man. <laughs> well, I mean, since we're talking about preacher, let's let's get right into it. I know I'm jumping all over the place, but this is the way my I'm good. This is the way my brain works. Um, so what is it like coming up? Because that show is based upon obviously IP, a graphic novel series that's been around for ages. And then uh what's it like jumping on that show that it sounded like it was already in motion before, right? And then you come on board to it. Uh what what was that like? I mean, the only thing that was really in motion on it was they had shot this pilot and they had pitched what they felt the show was. Um, But I really was there from the beginning and no one really did know what the show was. You know, we all kind of, um, uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, you think here's what happens when you're running a show, which I'll jump just is that you convince everyone that you know exactly what's going to happen in the show Mm -hmm. so that they'll let you make the show. But once you've made that first episode, you realize you have no idea what's going to (laughs) happen and you actually have to figure it out as you go a little bit more because it doesn't come out the way you thought it would, you know, the the character you thought you'd love, whatever leaves you cold, someone you never expected you know, to be invested in, you're very invested in. And so we knew how the first season was going to end and we all, we had the IP, but turning it into, you know, uh, a show with an engine and with these complicated characters and, and kind of tropes that you hadn't seen before Mm -hmm. was, you know, I think at one point we had a story that never came to fruition. Thank God about, um, Cows laying eggs. Dinosaur eggs. And maybe it was, yeah, you know, anything is for a show like that too. Everything is on the table because as long as it has a certain, hits a certain level of the characters are not in on the joke, but there is a level of heightened absurdity and violence um, to this world. Sure. Sure. You know, that it is a comic book. Mm. Well, let me ask this question. Cause this is relevant. What would you define a showrunner as? Is a showrunner someone that comes in and 
like has a, an idea for for what I don't want to say the script, but what the series should be. And are you just guiding that ship, or like how would you define a showrunner? Uh, well, I did not run Preacher. Sam ran Preacher, so I was the number two. But I will say, I I think showrunners come from all. Most showrunners are writers. Yep. In television, um, and most, you know, oh, gosh, that's such a hard question, Mike. I mean, you'd think that would be the easy one. That's a softball. Uh, but the, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think there are different kinds of showrunners. I think. Uh, there are showrunners who have created a show and have enough television experience that the studio and network trust them to then run the show, which is both running it creatively um, in terms of what's going to happen and making um, all of those creative decisions, including mm-hmm. what each character wears in each scene, you know, hiring all of the cast and crew really being the final answer on almost everything. Mm-hmm. The studio and network can obviously uh, override certain things. Um, so really guiding it creatively as well as um, with through all the logistics. And then there are other showrunners who are brought in to either remedy a show that's in trouble, whether that's budgetarily or creatively. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are showrunners that are teamed with, like right now I'm supervising a younger writer doing something which I would run that show in the hopes of teaching her how to run a show. Mm-hmm. So I'm involved with the creative. I'm helping her form the creative so that it can be made into a show. So it's more of kind of like a mentoring um, collaborative process. Um, but ultimately the responsibility for the show coming in um, is mine. So I see it from like for most showrunners come on at the inception of the idea or it is their idea mm-hmm. or someone brings them an idea or IP, mm-hmm. you know, they develop it, they pitch it, they sell it. They write usually the first episode or two. They then hire the writers to be in the writer's room. They make the decisions on which directions the stories are going. They often rewrite many of the writers or, you know, have some process like that. They um, choose the actors. They hire the crew. They look at every location and every prop and every everything. You sit in the editing room, you pick every piece of music. You, I mean, you know, you have music supervisors. You've done lots of shows with lots of people, which is kind of an amazing thing. Um, but yeah, the person that has to say yes or no to all of those people in television is the showrunner. It's fascinating. Yeah, no, it's interesting to me because the TV is very much the writer's medium at this point. And it's like, um, it's really not a director's medium at all. Like directors are, are, I mean, sure there are directors that uh, may come out of film and they end up becoming like pivotal and maybe they help develop the style and the look of the whole series, but it really is a writer's medium, right? hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think I, you know, I come from movies originally. And so I very, very, very much value um, directors. And I feel like they're my partner in doing it. I don't, I'm not a director, uh, but ultimately, yeah, it's the, you, the, the showrunner gets the final cut, not the director yeah. before it goes to the studio. Yeah. It's, 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 it's strange. It's like, 
uh, you guys are almost like a, a producer, very much a producer with creative control over everything at that point, right? Because yeah. you're, you're, you're hiring the crew and you're going through the whole entire process. And so when you guys are working with directors, what do you expect out of the director for television? What do you think their main purpose is? It really, you know, honestly, it depends on where you are in the series. So if it's a pilot or the first couple of episodes or the pilot didn't come out the way you wanted to and uh, it's early in the run of the show, I, I think directors are hugely impactful in the look of the show, the tone yeah. of the show, all of those, you know, things that you use directors for. Um, and, and they have much more say toward the beginning of a show. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. which is which is amazing and then once a show is really established in its look and and the way you know that that they do things mm -hmm. not just the look obviously but um then the director what you really want is you want someone who is who's going to be able to get the performances you need, who understands the show and can bring something to elevate it or can contribute, um, you know, to that template that already exists. Yeah. But, they, but you really do need them to stay in that template. Yeah, because it's fascinating when you look at, because uh, I've always done film. So my background is film stuff. I haven't done TV yet. And so it's a, it's an interesting thing to sort of examine. And when I look at uh, TV series that uh, I enjoy, it usually starts with uh, a director that is attached early on. Maybe they come from cinema, maybe they come from somewhere else, and then they develop the style. And then you see the rest of the season uh, sort of littered with regulars that you see on a bunch of different shows. You may see a director that's done like multiple episodes on The Walking Dead. You may see a director that's done multiple episodes on something else. And they they do, they do a fantastic job of coming in and carrying almost like chameleons to a certain extent where they yeah. sort of plug themselves in and understand, you know, the, the look and the, the tone of the show, which is fascinating. Yeah. And it's incredibly difficult now to do that with streaming because – you're not making a separate pilot. Very often, if something gets ordered straight to series. So the people who are directing episodes five and six, who maybe didn't even see the first three or four episodes because mm -hmm. they're not done. Yeah. And those people haven't had much experience or those people don't know the template. And so that's also part of, if you're lucky, you have a great producing director who can really help with that stuff, but most, but that's not the norm. Mm -hmm. um, so that's also comes under the showrunner, writer, producer job. Yeah. Right. To try it, to make things consistent. Yeah. And, and like sort of build that consistency at that point, you must be building like a tonal Bible for what the show is going to be before the show's already been shot at that point. Right. Yeah, you are the other. Yeah. And you know who else is super, super important in the shooting of television series is the DP. Mm -hmm. The mm -hmm. DP is almost like the DP understands the way the show gets shot better than the new coming in for one episode director, for sure. Yeah. And directors need to lean on them and they are very empowered in television as well. Yeah. Super important. Yeah. It's interesting because then when you think about it, if you break down a TV show to its core essentials, it's 
you know, especially with streamers at this point, content, 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 lots of content, give us as much content as you can. So it's like you're, it's like you're building a train that, that starts rolling before you even finish building the fucking train. And then you're just trying to keep up with it. Is it, is it that sort of intense and chaotic? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's not, I, I'm going to say I don't feel like the new model is optimal. Um, for to to get the best creative result, I've heard this from multiple people. You're not the first to say this, but yes, <laughs> yeah, yes. it's it's a lot. Also, the way that it works is like when I was coming up in television, part of how I knew by season six of Gossip Girl how to run Gossip Girl was we were writing Gossip Girl while Gossip Girl was shooting. We went to the set. We had to be in charge on the set of producing our episodes. We were in post on those episodes. You learned. Hmm. And now the way that it is, the writers are gone before you even start shooting. So as the showrunner, you're it. You're all that's left of oh. that creative inception. We are, So is that because the writers have already written everything and then they're just out? Like they pre-write they, everything? Well, they write the way that the streaming mostly works is that you write everything and because it's a shorter season and then they go shoot it all is uh -huh. one big block. So there's a like a writing period and then a shooting period. And it, like everything in this business, comes down to money, sure. which is no one's going to keep paying the writers to stay on staff when they're not writing. Right, right, right. So then it's all about hopefully what we've – come up with prior to this works as as we as this train sort of takes off and we go with it as opposed to like the old way which is the ability to fluctuate with it where it's like oh this character really isn't playing as well as i thought it, it, like are you guys still able to make those adjustments when you're shooting it in one giant chunk yeah i mean the problem is the adjustments need to be made by only the person or if you're lucky people but mostly it's person who's left and that person is also doing the editing. So a lot of stuff takes place in the editing room. Yeah. A lot of those changes, I mean, they can be on the set or, you know, I I could rewrite certain parts of scripts um, within that shooting period. But you can't really change a whole story. You just you just don't have that luxury. It sounds it sounds very intense. It sounds very it's intense. It's very intense. <laughs> You must be going crazy. You I was scarred. I'm still scarred. Yeah. <laughs> and I was in Hawaii. So. It's time to take a moment to uh, show some love to the sponsors of the show. Um, and I'm talking about the men and women that are our sponsors, the companies that support us, the products that I like, the products that I use, the tools that may change the way your pieces feel, look, sound, and change your experience making them. Okay. So first up, friends over at Puget Systems, if you are 
a post-production company that maybe you're working on all these TV series. I can only imagine how busy you poor sons of bitches are when it comes to a TV show, right? Because everything always stacks up in post. Fix it in post, right? That old saying, <laughs> I've been there. It's a nightmare. The tidal wave of footage that is coming your way. The tidal wave of footage that is going into your color correction office, the dailies that you're processing, all that stuff. It's 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 great money, but it is an onslaught and like an exhausting onslaught. And the thing that makes it twice as exhausting is that everything seems to be consistently changing as far as technology is concerned. People are changing on a, are shooting on a new format. Now we need the, the deliverables to be in a higher format. All this stuff is shifting. And what you're trying to do is just keep everything running. Keep those engines moving, right? You got to keep those machines running. And maybe you've hit a point where you just need more from them. And it's time to buy new machines. It's time to get some new edit suites in the office. Um, I suggest before you call up the big boys that everybody usually calls and you pay a lot of money for the unboxing experience, you pay a lot of, a lot of money for the name, consider again to build a PC. And it, we've well moved on from the days where PCs were known as machines that crashed, that Windows was an unstable operating system. All that stuff is in the past. What that does for us and what PCs have done traditionally is opened the doors for competition. So we get great prices, great options on all sorts of different pieces of hardware. That also opens up the doors for you to find specific hardware for your needs. So you don't have to like go with the three top choices on the big boys website, right? And then hopefully and maybe your shit works with that. Or maybe you have old hardware that you need to integrate into a newer system. Having a PC, having the ability to get under the hood and custom build this thing is important. But you don't want to be building your own computers. You don't want to be your own tech support. I found Puget Systems, and this is what I love about them. They're a company that builds computers to work for you. They believe in the tool working for the artist. That's why they support the show. That's why we get along so well. That's why we're consistently getting beers together whenever we're in the same town. Okay? So head on over to PugetSystems.com. Uh, you can reach out to them. They have uh, amazing consultants that want to hear about your needs. They want to hear about what it is that you make, what it is that you do, and how you're pushing the limits of the format. And with all of their experience, benchmark testing, a gear and equipment and running through all the numerous fucking software updates and figuring out what the errors are. These guys are the best place for tech support. Better than the big boys. I'm telling you. Head on over to PugetSystems.com. Take a look around. Uh, all right. Also supporting the show, our friends over at Jambox. All these sponsors are completely relevant uh, to people that are developing TV shows and, and long-running content. One of the hardest things that we have as content creators is trying to take into consideration music, music licensing, budgeting for music licensing, right? And sure, maybe you want to find that Rolling Stones track or you want that Kanye track that you're going to spend most of your season's budget on, but you still got to fill in the gaps, right? And maybe you have the money to hire a composer and you have a composer that's running for the whole show or you have a composer that's running for all your content. I love doing that but there's still gaps, right? And maybe you don't have the cash for that right away. Maybe you're doing a pilot and you need to find great music 
that stirs emotion, that gets an audience to react emotionally to the beats that you're building. I hate, hate, hate having to find shitty stock music. And usually it's because I have some bullshit line item cost in a budget where the producer's like, yeah, how much does music cost? Like 200 bucks, no big deal, right? It sucks. Whenever we do commercials, it's a pain in the ass. So I've been on the hunt for a place that does great music, that's affordable, that'll fit in in my budgets. And Jambox.io is that place. What I love about what they do is they run their company like a record label. They actually put together albums. They collaborate with artists and they pay artists to either write uh, LPs, EPs, albums, single songs to suit your needs. And because they do it that way, their songs come with, a lot of their songs come with stems. It's able to be broken apart, restructured to fit your project. How soothing does that sound, right? Head on over to jambox.io right now. Check out their plans. They have a bunch of subscription plans, or you can do single song licensing. Um, if, you're an un, if you're a creator, they call it an unlimited creator account, uh, you get a 30-day free trial, $9.99 a month, and you can use music for personal projects like vlogs, YouTubes, podcasts, all that kind of stuff. Not a bad deal. 30-day free trial. I know there's a lot of podcasts. Oh my God, your voice might... I know there's a lot of podcast creators that listen to this show and I've listened to your shows and let me just give you some advice. Upgrade your fucking music, please. How many shows do you listen to that's just got like really chintzy sounding music? I'm going to I'm going to tout tout my own horn here. We're going to toot my horn here that the music that we do on the show fucking rocks. It really does. And yes, I work with a lot of really amazing musicians that donate their music to our show but I fill in the gaps with really great stuff from Jambox. And when I say I fill in the gaps, you don't even know the difference. That's what's great about them. If you're someone that's doing commercials, check out their unlimited commercial uh, subscription, $19.99 a month, a seven-day free trial on that. That gives you access to everything that the Creator Plan does, as well as access to their sound effects, which are incredibly useful, and stems, right? That's for the pros, the people that are trying to make cash on this stuff. Really great deal. Um, or if you're a student and you're trying to get in, you're trying to get your shit together, you're trying to figure it all out, get access to all that for six bucks a month. And that can be used for like any of your student projects, web streaming, social channels, etc. It makes sense, right? If you're going to make some good loot on this stuff, these guys should get paid some decent loot. And by decent loot, I still mean low prices. And if you're someone that doesn't want to pay for a subscription per year, they do single song licensing, and the prices are incredibly affordable. While I'm talking about it, head on over to jambox.io and check out how affordable their prices are. How much do you think it costs to, to get a single song license for a YouTube? How much do you think it costs to get a single song license for a wedding? I guarantee you it's cheaper than you think. Head on over there and go through their music now before you do a project. Listen to what is available to you. You're going to love it, man jambox.io uh also supporting the show our friends over at vidafair that's v-i-d-a-f-a-i-r.com vidafair is the place to go when you finish your content and you want to host it somewhere and you want to charge for it when do we become so insecure about charging for our films right how is that that's like bred into us where it's like i made this thing i spent all this money on it I'm going to put it online for free. 
<laughs> How does that make sense? And at the end of the year, when you're doing your taxes and you're like, I only made this much money this year and I spent all this money, excuse me. And your accountant's like, you're in the red, dude. Why is it that you have more expenses than you have income? Because I didn't charge for my work, right? And I know we're insecure about it. It's all about these insecurities that I'm fighting on this show all the time. Is my work good enough? Is my stuff good enough? Right? But ask, ask your fans, ask your followers, ask your family, how much would you pay to see this? How much would you pay for this? I mean, unless you're absolutely terrible and someone goes, don't charge anything for that. It's a rare case, <laughs> rare case. And honestly, if that's the case, then take that to heart. <laughs> but most people are going to be like, ah, I'd give you a couple bucks for that. And you'll be surprised how many people will be like, I'll give you 20 bucks to watch that thing. You know, then you're, you're learning about the value of your time. You're learning about the value of your work. You're adding value to your work. The audience is learning the value of your work, right? They're elevating you because you have the confidence to add value to your work. It's all positive, man. And then where do you host it? How much is it going to cost you? How much is this company going to take? Every one of my clicks, every one of my charges, are they going to take out some cash out of it, right? They're just like, like uh, mosquitoes on my back, sucking out all my creative juice, right? such a stupid thing but what i love about vitifair is that's not the case these guys they charge you to host it one single price i think for hosting for a year or something like that it's like under six bucks and if you raise or lower your prices they don't charge you more it's a great place for filmmakers they're also putting together a film festival where it's the only film festival that exists that when you put your film up and you play during their film festival uh, you make money. <laughs> Most film festivals pocket all the, the money from the door. These guys will host you online, do an online film festival. I think they're talking about doing an actual film festival in uh, like a theater. Don't, don't quote me on this, but he told me that they're going to be doing something soon with that. But in the meantime, put it all online, be a part of their film festival, charge for people to see your film, which is great. And then these guys are going to advertise the hell out of the film festival. So it's going to get you publicity out there. So it's a good thing to try out. Head on over to vitifair.com and see what it is that I'm talking about. And there's a bunch of really great films up here now. So if you're just looking for some interesting content to watch, a lot of good shit up there, man. So vitifair.com. And as I said at the beginning of the episode, I know that this we're, we're getting close, man. We're getting close to 200. It's crazy. 200 fucking episodes. The amount of hours of my voice that exist on the internet. It's mind-blowing to me. Uh, but as we get closer to 200, you newcomers, the people that are just showing up, and there's a lot of you coming in. I've seen the numbers. <laughs> there's a lot of you coming in. Uh, and you guys are like, where do I start? Do I go all the way back to the first one? Do I have to go through everything? Oh, well, it would be nice, you know, to sort of listen to the adventure ride that I've had for the past four years. And you can hear through the tones of my voice uh, where I'm at emotionally. It's fascinating, actually, to go back and listen to them. Um, but if you want something more focused, if you are trying to make better use of your time, 
then go to inlovewiththeprocess.com. I've curated all the episodes by subject material. So if you just want to listen to the directors, if you want to listen to the chefs, if you want to listen to the musicians, I have it all up there for you. I also have like a top 25, top 30 episode page as well, which I have to update this year because I have so many new episodes that belong on that list. Um, but head on over to inlovewiththeprocess.com. All right, let's get back into it with Sarah. I mean, this has been the consensus that I've heard from a lot of folks that I've had on the show. I've had quite a few cinematographers on the show that have done series, and I've had uh, some production designers and some of the teams that are on, and and they, I think the consensus all the way around is exhaustion. I think more than yeah. anything, everybody's like, it's 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 exciting, but it's fucking exhausting. And yeah. I, it, it always blows my mind when I watch, being someone that has produced films and being someone that has has made stuff, I know what it takes to do that. I know what it takes to cram as much texture in every shot as possible. And so when I watch uh, these these uh, series that are sort of elevated to the point where they need to look like film, so like visually and aesthetically, it needs to feel like it's this film. But you're doing <laughs> you're doing like oh twelve films in the amount of time that you would do one film on the budget yeah. of maybe two films. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's got to be insane to run that yeah. ship, you know? It is. It is. Yeah. It's totally insane. Yeah. <laughs> it's, I mean, yeah, it's it's insane. It's one day, I still remember one day, um, I woke up at 6.30 because I was so at, we were shooting in Hawaii. This is on, I know we did last summer, so we can go back to Preacher. But I, mm-hmm. I woke up at 6.30 a.m., mm-hmm because Hawaii was three hours behind LA. Mm -hmm. So I worked with the editor in LA until, because we had done reshoots on the pilot. So I worked with the editor till 3 p.m. I took a shower. I left my house at 4 p.m. and got to set at 4.30 and got back home at 5.30 a.m. God. From set. So that was like 23, that was literally 23 hours. And that day I remembered it because it was 23 hours. And, and, but, but it was like that though, once we were in post and doing reshoots while we're shooting episodes five and six, doing reshoots on the pilot. I mean, it was, yeah, it's, it's an incredibly intense experience and you have to, um, I, you know, I, it's like maybe directors are better suited for it, but you know, as a, you come up as a writer, that's how your brain works. You're not <laughs> like, Hey, yeah. I know how to manage, you know, millions of dollars of budgets sure. and lots of people problems. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, and, and, uh, and things like that. And, and you really are the boss um, ultimately, and you are responsible for all of, for all of it. 
It's crazy. So you can't let any of it go. It's crazy. Yeah, no, most writers that I know are very sort of quiet, antisocial, <laughs> very sort of exactly, very sort of in their thing. And, <laughs> and it, it took me years at, as a director to realize that I have the most social job in existence. Like it's part of what, what I do. It's like you walk around set every day and go, "How was your day? What's going on? How's your wife? What's happening?" You know what I mean? It's like exactly that's, that's your I job. I don't even think to ask that. <laughs> 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 That's your job. I, I like. I, I've talked about it on the show prior, but I have such a romantic vision of what it's like to be a director and a filmmaker, and I, I always see it as like, to a certain extent, being in a battle. It's like you're at war, and in the morning you show up to set, and you're far away from the front line, and you just walking through the camps and you go into the hair and makeup room and you hear about the gossip and you talk about what's going on there and you make your way through the production design crew and they're covered in paint and they haven't slept in like 12 hours and there's <laughs> zombies walking around. You hand them a bunch of coffees and then you slowly make your way to the front line and there's the cinematographer. He's sitting there with his light meter and he's grumpy. You know? Of course. <laughs> and then, you know, and I, I love that. That's what I love about it. It's just such this, I've embraced it over the, the whatever twenty years that I've been directing content, and at this point, it's what I love about it. And uh, I have a bunch of friends that are writers that are have tried to direct, and they're just like, "I got to talk to a lot of people." <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I can't just make up what they're saying. Yeah. I actually have to respond to real words. Where, where's the hole so I can put my hand in the puppet and just have them just say what I wrote on the page? Yeah, that's no. Right. Um, I like. I, I think that's what fascinates me about TV because everything's headed in our industry. Everything's headed towards streaming, right? Yeah. And uh, because of the business model. I think really Netflix is the one that started it where they were like, hey, guess what? Bam, here's a whole fucking series. You know, here's, yeah. here's 12 episodes. You can binge this. Um, I, there's something exciting about that, but I think there is also something that suffers from that. And I, I wonder if we're starting to see that as, as sort of the, uh, the leth lethargic crews are starting to kick in where you're like, mm, I have to put everything out at once. And, um, with the budget restrictions, it's it's fascinating to me. It's it's like, how how long does this model last, and ha how do we make adjustments to this model so that it isn't as exhausting <laughs> for the poor people that have to make this thing? You know? Yeah, I mean, I think crews definitely feel that way. If, you know, um, and I think writers absolutely feel that sure. way right now. I I mean, there's a lot of my writer friends and showrunner friends, especially. Um, really feel like, um, uh, you know, beaten up. Yeah. They feel beaten up right now. Yeah. Um, and 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 that the other thing, think about it, which is you. All of these people put so much work and s into this and with 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 all of these crazy constraints and all of this and um, you know intensity and time limits and you're you have no time for post and you're like okay well if the visual effect isn't there cut the scene sure. i mean it's sure. it's crazy what you what you end up having to do and then you know who's watching you can't even find out if anyone's watched your show <laughs> and no one's watching because there's 300 shows yeah. that you know and what breaks through and what doesn't break through and and so there's also that part which is 
yeah, you can't get the data and no, and, and, and they're really only, you know, the streamers model is not to just keep you there. It's to get new subscribers, Yeah, which is why now they're also shortening. They, they now want mostly three seasons instead of more, which for me also defeats the purpose of television. Sure. <laughs> sure. No, no, no. Cause you got the long running a, it's great long running job wise, but then B for characters, you're able to yeah. really examine, you know, <laughs> love or hate the walking dead you see it on that show where it's like what how do we take you know this uh, this abused wife and and over seven or eight years transform her into this hardened road warrior you know what i mean like, exactly that's i think that's the most as a storyteller i think that's the most fascinating aspect of television series i think that series suffer to a certain extent because of the time restraints the budget restraints on like how much uh, texture and symbolism that you can, I think you can cram more of that, uh, into a movie than you can into mm -hmm. a series just because you're, you're stretching your limits, right? It's like, uh, how many scenes can we shoot in a day and how many scenes can we do in this warehouse? Cause we have this location, we have this thing. So let's, let's write a bunch of stuff for that. And I think that, uh, the benefits of it, as we've been saying before, is just the character development. And I, I yeah, you know, I'm curious to see how it plays out as we're in this. This is me having a stream of conscious and I apologize for it. By the way, no, I'm, but I'm with you and I, I am too. And it's, it, something's, something will change there. Yeah. there it just has to. Um, and I'm interested to see what, where it goes. Yeah. Yeah. Cause now we're going to have this huge void. We've had a void now with cinema and with mm -hmm. uh, movies, right? Because Oh, now yeah. for theaters, it's like you got to cram as many people into superhero underpants as possible and throw them on the screen to even have it show up in a theater at this point. Um, and so then all those filmmakers and storytellers that were playing in the $30 million range, they're all coming down to streamers and that's mm -hmm. the, the, the home for them. And then you're seeing content that should be just like an hour and a half sprawled out into like 12 episodes <laughs> that, oh, you, yeah. that you're like, what am I fucking watching? That's the person just talking about what we saw, <laughs> you know, and you're like, well, yeah, I mean, I'll do, I'll go to, I'll take it when I'll take your stream of consciousness, just one other way, which is, it's also the same as like, I appreciate some of these real life, you know, uh, series that are out now, but I read the article. I listened to the podcast. I already watched the documentary. Why, why? Like somebody, somebody I was talking to the other day said, said that basically streamers, what they're doing now is basically those kinds of stories is the Marvel universe for people who read the New Yorker. Yeah. <laughs> like, like I read about, you know, the dropout, the like the dropout. I read it. I heard it. I saw the documentary. I, I've, been inundated why why is this a television show i know i know it's even worse when it's on a streaming service that does the documentary and does the narrative and That's does all I mean. that stuff yeah 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 it's and crazy you're like how many tiger kings do i need <laughs> exactly also it was the pandemic we liked it yeah during the pandemic yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was the first week we had nowhere to go yeah <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, no, it's it's anyway. it's nice to hear you say that too because um, I think 
I mean, who knows what the general audience is thinking? Because we're so deep in this world and we're so deep in this industry that, uh, you know, who the fuck knows? You know what I mean? And, and being someone that's yeah. like 43 years old, you know, it's just like, what well, you don't know what the kids want. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah. <laughs> it's like okay. <laughs> okay. Um, but uh, all right. Well, so Jesus. So you've got such an intense. Sorry. So, so you've got such an intense gig. So show running really is super intense. So are you more selective about what you say yes to at this point? Are you more selective about what you jump on at this point? Because knowing yeah, that. I, yes, for sure. I mean, I will say I, I'll take us back to like after Gossip Girl, which was an amazing experience to learn. It was amazing experience. I love those people. I loved doing that show at that time. But I was like, I need to now get out of the girl ghetto. <laughs> and I don't want to run anyone else's show because know. it's just the job is just too hard. And so um, that's what I did in between. I worked on other kinds of things. I worked on Preacher most of it, um, most of those years. Uh, but I but I just wanted to do different kinds of genre stuff. And I wanted to not have to be in you know, at work 20 hours a day and, and, and managing all of that money and personalities and people. Yeah. And also, cause you have to deal with the studio and the network. You have to deal with all of it. I yeah. mean, it's, it's, a, it's also, you have to be calm and, and understanding. I'm using, I'm not saying political, but sure. But you have to understand the process in a, that these people are trusting you to run a multi-million dollar corporation, just like as if you're a, just like when you're a director. Yeah, no, I mean, this is, it sounds very similar to, uh, honestly, it sounds similar to directing commercials. It sounds similar to doing like that kind of corporate content where it took me years to wrap my head around that, where in the beginning as a young director, it's like, Oh, they're hiring me because of my skill. You know what I mean? And you're, you're in there and you're like trying to show off, <laughs> And then it, years later, you realize, no, it's more important for me to be at the monitor with the clients. It's more important for me to be managing their expectations and going through this entire process. So it's it, it's fascinating. Um, yeah, it's a lot of hats, just like what you're talking about. It's just a lot. And you don't want to get jaded. You want to be invested in the creative. You want, like That's why we all do this, because we love it. Yeah, man. Yeah, man. Jaded is tough, isn't it? Isn't that? It's like... <sighs> It's so tough because being jaded is the result of experience, right? And we all want experience, <laughs> you know. <laughs> like you're like, oh, I would love to to get my sink my teeth into how you do this, and you cross your fingers and you hope it's a good experience, right? You hope that what you're exposed to is healthy, um, and then when you walk out of the back end, it's like post traumatic stress at that, side, at that point where you're just like, right? That's on the other side of your getting to the front lines, which was such a romantic way of yes, talking about it. Yes. But once you're done with the war, like you're not getting up for a while. Yes. <laughs> yeah. It's you're in therapy and you're just like, all right, right, how do I get over what just happened to me? Right. Oh, I can only imagine the extremity that you go through on that as a showrunner. Um, so, so why, um, why I know what you did last summer. Why did you get involved with this? Um, you know, I had I had finished Preacher, and I 
had written just a play for myself because I had never written one and I just wanted to write something that I just wanted to write. Nice. Um, but meanwhile, Sony kept coming to me with things and they came to me with this first to, there was a young writer who was attached to it at that time and to supervise. And I, I mean, I'll tell you, by the way, everyone, if I was still on the show, they'd be like, no, you're not allowed to say that you passed. I passed on it like a gazillion times. Oh, not, <laughs> not because I didn't love, not because I didn't love the book or the movies, but because I did. And because I was like, you know, I just, I don't know. It's, I doesn't feel like mine. I want to do my own thing. I don't really want to come run a show um, unless it's really, kind of personal to me. Sure. And then they kept they kept coming back and then they 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 it was no longer a supervising supervising thing and I had a meeting with Amazon about what they really wanted and what I really was interested in about it. Mm-hmm. Um and and it was it just turned out to be a great meeting and so and I wasn't doing anything else. And I finally just was like, okay, fine. <laughs> <laughs> I have, but, but by the way, all of that trauma has made me, I'm incredibly commitment phobic. It's yeah. for me to sign on to something takes, it's, it's really difficult for me because I, I understand what's to come. I believe that. Cause at that, and, and at that point you must be sorting through, uh, yeah. that, that cynicism where you're just like, oh, you know, I yeah. I completely sympathize. I completely do. But you but you know like just the way you were talking about it. Like once you say yes, you can't you, it's not possible to stay separate. Yeah. It's not possible to stay cynical. You yeah. have to go all in. You have to love it. You have to you have to live it. There's just no other way. It doesn't And the fact that that happens every time like either we we are all have like <laughs> some memory problems. <laughs> <or> <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> or like did too many drugs or whatever it was. Yeah, like yeah, yeah. it's like again? This is happening again? <laughs> yeah. Oh dude. Oh. oh. But you know, like th- there is that thing where like I have to wind it's like I have to wind up and l- first you have to trust it, right? Because it, you know, yeah. the fucking business is is just consistently like, you know, g- giving you false hope. <laughs> like consistently. Oh yeah. You know? Oh my god, it's gonna happen. No, it's not, no, it's gonna happen. And, and, <laughs> And so then you're just processing that callousness where you're like, okay, yeah. well, I'm I'm not going to believe it, and that's the first thing you say. It's like I'm not going to yeah. believe it until it's there's not a, real yet until there's a fucking contract. <laughs> like I'm not going to believe it, and so then you have like that protective shell that at least I do. I have that protective oh, shell yeah. that I put over my heart. You know what I mean? For and, sure. And then if it starts to feel like it's going and it starts to get there. I'll get anxiety where I'll go, oh yeah, but I haven't I haven't cared about this enough. <laughs> like so then, so then, so then you're like oh, slowly peeling that open and just looking around, yeah. making sure no one's going to shoot it, and then like you start to grind up that love, and, and yeah. once that love happens for me, I start to fall into it, and I'm like, yeah. oh yes, okay, 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 please, do, please don't fucking step on me. You know what I mean? And then you're just like, I know. please make this happen. Um, oh. <laughs> so so really- true. So traumatic. So traumatic. So traumatic. (laughs) Every time. And it's and you watch the process. You're like, oh yeah, this is the time where I think I don't know how to write it. Oh yeah, this is the time (laughs) when when I'm like, I said no to this job for a reason. (laughs) Yeah. This is and now you're like, don't 
talk badly about my job. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, man. I and and I love it. That's the sick thing. It's like the know, sick twisted thing is that at the end of the day you're I I was saying this uh I just had a call with a couple friends before we did this and we were talking about movie stuff and and the pandemic and how long it's been uh, since I've been on set just because of the pandemic. And I, I'm like, I, f- I feel like a fucking heroin addict. And it's just sort yeah. of like, give me something, you know, and you're trying not to, you're, you're trying not to make decisions in that mindset because you're like, okay, this is going to last. Like if I do a movie or something, it's like two years, you know, and you're like, I don't know. Oh yeah. You know, so. Yeah. It, and you're going to have post-traumatic stress from it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So you're just like, oh, okay. Okay. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's fascinating. It's fascinating. I, I don't know how we yeah, got we're so- all, We're all secret drug addicts. I mean, like addicted to the process. Yeah. In love with the process and it's uh, maybe not the healthiest relationship. <laughs> I'm going to have to change the name of the show now to addicted. <laughs> addicted to the process is the new episode. Because <laughs> that's right. I think I think you hit it on the head. Um, so, wow. Uh, it's uh, uh, By the way, how are we doing on time? You Okay. Oh, I'm good. Yeah. I'm enjoying the hell out of this. Um, okay, good. It's I, it's totally fun. Okay. So, <laughs> so, uh, so you, you jump into show writing, you jump into, uh, this world of managing multiple personalities and, and, and trying to, you know, deliver, right. Ultimately being the person that, that has to deliver to the clients. Like, have you, how do you switch hats? Like, how do you walk out of a, out of a corporate meeting, essentially, and then back onto set with the news that you need to deliver to people? <laughs> oh God! I mean, that was that was particularly rough on on I know what you did last summer because I would have to drive. A lot of times we were shooting on the North Shore, which um, was a far drive. So those calls with the studio and network would be on my drive <laughs> to the North shore where I would then get out of the car on the set with the same director directing who I had just been told that what they saw was the worst episode of television they'd ever seen. Oh my God. Example. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, well, oh. don't watch that cut. Oh my God. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but that they weren't going to pay for reshoots. Um, so, you know, and on this particular one there, the actress, Bill Heck, who was on your podcast, uh, was not young and was, was had experience and is is such an amazing person and was an amazing presence on that set. But most of the actors were very young and very, very invested in, um, you know, people loving it and that they were making something that, um, you know, they would want to watch and, and just was Amazon happy and, and was I happy? And, you know, you don't ever want to let it leak out. Um, and at the same time, there's work that they have to do or that you're going to have to ask that I was going to have to ask everyone to do Mm. in order to make, um, the, the, you know, Amazon happy, um, whether it was right or wrong, you know, it stops, it stops, you stop even questioning if it's right or wrong. You, what you start doing, I think your mindset just, you don't have time to be in, indignant. Mm. You don't have time to be offended. Mm. You only have time to figure out the best way to, 
um, solve this problem and get what you need from everybody, which is hard, like what you were talking about in terms of the time constraints, you know, and we were, we worked three straight weeks of night in the, the first month. We had three weeks of just straight nights. Yeah. So everyone's coming in to the rest of the show exhausted yeah. and, and you're about to ask them to do something that no matter how you phrase it is going to imply that someone wasn't happy with it. Yeah. So, I mean, for me, I take as much responsibility. Like I, you know, I'm like a big, it's, it's on me. Like I'm happy. Part of the job is to take the responsibility and part of getting what you need. I think from people is to just, just try to take responsibility um, and not, you know, make anyone feel like they're to blame or they did something wrong unless they obviously did something egregiously wrong. Of course. Um, But, but really, and then once you do that, then you can, you, like you were saying, like as a director, you, you're trying to pull everyone together in it mm-hmm. to make it the team effort it needs to be. Yeah. So without telling them, and everyone hates it. Yeah. <laughs> so. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, there's that old saying that's like, you know, as, as a leader, you're supposed to take responsibility for all the failure and you're supposed to give up yeah. the responsibility for the success. And, and, yeah. and I believe that wholeheartedly. And, and, uh, not at your level, not dealing with the kind of stress that you've dealt with, but I've dealt with it on smaller levels where you just sort of walk in and you go, guys, we have to do that again. And that has to happen again. And, uh, you know, the thing that we need to focus on is that we're lucky enough to be able to do it again. We're lucky enough to be able to do this. And so, like, I know it's disheartening that that it may not have registered the right way, but who the fuck knows why it didn't register the right way. And at the end of the day, you know, people watching this thing could have been grumpy and added their own issues or whatever the fuck, but we can go back in and adjust it. And I'd rather as a storyteller, I'd rather get that reaction from somebody when I can fix it. than than if, you know, that reaction comes later when I can't fucking fix it, you know, that's the bane of my existence when with stuff. Yeah. Especially, totally agree. Especially if you ask people and they go, it's great. And then the thing comes out and they go, I never thought it was good. And I go, you're not my friend anymore. <laughs> like, <laughs> no, now it's too late. Yeah, yeah. Now you're not allowed to say it. Yeah, you're a liar. <laughs> That's what that That's is. Right. You're a liar, man. Um, yeah, no, crazy, huh? Weird. Yeah, it's, you know, yeah. Somebody said to me once, and I, I feel like they were, I don't know if you have kids, but like it's, it's kind of like being a parent where you – you really have to like make the rules and you have to take responsibility and you have to hold everyone accountable, but it is not, but, but you do not get the credit. It's not like your kids yeah. grow up and are like, it's all because I had a great mom. No. Yeah. They, they, they grow up and they leave. <laughs> like, That's right. They leave, they go be movie stars. Yeah. They're like, yeah, you know, it was all me. Yeah. I, I so. And if it's bad, it's all you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, yeah. of course. Hundred percent, hundred percent. That's yeah. a good analogy. Um, yeah, ah, this is great. I'd like, I had feeling. I had a feeling that this is what it was like, and so I'm, I'm fascinated to, to sort of talk to you. And and uh, I don't want to say I get this confirmed, but it's it's interesting because I, I I can from looking from the outside at a showrunner and just saying like the the level of responsibility must be like 
monumental. Like this has got to be a fucking a monolith gig, you know? Um, yeah. And then knowing that it is such a writer's medium, it's like how many writers are really prepared for that? How many writers are prepared to jump into that seat? You know? Yeah. There's lots of now, I feel like the, the Writers Guild has had one for a long time, the showrunner training program, mm-hmm. um, which I did many, many, many years ago. Um, and But now studios are trying to do it. And it's not, you know, you can like hear what you are going to have to do. You can look at budgets. You can, you know, sit in an editing room. But until it's all on you, yeah, you don't really get it. And... And it is, uh, um, it is intense, man. I don't know why the fuck I do it. Again. <laughs> I have a problem. <laughs> well, I mean, you, I mean, you'd had no idea that you're going to head down this path, right? You thought you were going to just be writing stuff. Like, did you know that it was ultimately going to end up being show running? No, I don't. I don't think I did. I think, you know, you, you have to go, just you have to go in bright eyed and bushy tailed thinking this is, I'm going to be a writer. And if I write my own thing, then that's going to be the best because I don't have some creative control, um, without thinking past that into like, uh, you know, you have no locations to shoot today. And so you have to rewrite every single thing mm-hmm. for something that doesn't exist. Um, you know, it's, all of the logistics and decisions and responsibility, I think, um, come later. Hopefully when you have some, you know, level of maturity to deal with it. Although, you know, some days I do and some days I don't. (laughs) (laughs) Well, one can, one can assume that your, your, your mental capacity is fluctuating dependent upon how many 23 hour days that you've been awake for a row. I mean, humans, humans have to go through what humans have to go through. Uh, Yes. There are many pictures of me laying face down on the concrete floor of the set. (laughs) Let's just put it that way. <laughs> uh, but I mean, so then you come off those jobs, and are, are you jonesing to get back on, or are you just like, thank God, I'm, I need, no. a, I need a break. No, yeah, no, I'm not. I mean, I, I'm supervising this one show right now, which um, is fun because we're just, it's just the two of us kind of breaking the stories and and um, you know coming up with what the show would be and. So right now that part's fun. And, you know, for me, just like you love being on set, I love being in a writer's room. There's nothing, for me, there's nothing better than something doesn't exist and you leave and something does. I mean, it's, it's, that is the part that's like still so exciting for me, even though it's horrible and you're like, okay, well, I have no idea what's going to happen. But the fact that something shows up is going to happen and maybe it's fun and interesting is, is I love that still. So that part is great. And that part is what lulls me in to then being on the set thinking it's going to be different this time. Yeah. (laughs) It's not. Yeah. (laughs) So no, I'm looking for other projects. I mean, I'm, I'm supervising and I'm developing a couple things and you know, yeah, the things I want to do, Sony doesn't want to do. It's that old game, right? We're we're employed until we're all unemployed again, and so then we're back exactly. in the, we're back in the races, trying to find a job, finding trying to find a oh, gig. Yeah. Well, let me ask you this: from a changes. from from a director standpoint, asking a showrunner, like when you're looking for directors to uh, to fill out your episodes, what are you looking for generally? 
Well, usually what happens right now is that I get a list from from Sony or Amazon or whoever I'm working with of people that they like. Ah, I see. Um, so a lot of it comes from there, a lot of it, um, or if there's people that I've personally worked with that I like what I really, what, but, but in this case, I met a lot of people that I hadn't worked with before. And the thing I think that's, is that they appreciate what you have created mm-hmm. and they are a good collaborator that they understand, you know, collaboration, because I think, I, I don't, I'm not saying this is true about you. I, this is not my impression from our conversation, but I think sure. a lot of people who've never done television feel imposed upon with that collaboration rather than, um, you know, feeling like it's a team. Like I've never written with a writing partner. So I, I don't know. And, and I would never, I don't want to be a director. So, sure. so that's easier for other, for, for me to hire directors because I don't want to do their job. Right. It's too social for me. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I bring it back to, cause I haven't directed TV. So I bring it back to what I was saying about commercials. Cause I feel like, let me, let me try to illustrate this. So when I get called to do an ad, if I get called to do a commercial or an ad, there has been an entire battle. There has been a war that has been raging between the uh, creative directors and the writers and the client, and they've gone through this long process of trying to figure out how to make the client happy, but also be creative and how to make themselves happy. And so they come together with a treatment, and they bring a treatment on board. And I think a lot of younger directors, and I know I did this earlier in my career, where I would get the call to go in there and I'd start to like blow it all up. I'd be like, oh, well, if I was going to do this, bup, bup, bup. and then suddenly so you start getting in there and <laughs> you're just fucking it all up. You know, you're kicking things around. And it took me uh, a while as I got older where I went, that's not my job, man. My, like, yeah. at, like if I'm directing one of my films and I'm doing a film that I'm doing, that's my gig. That's what the, people are paying me for is to be the person that thinks of it differently and creates all this and has the final word. But something like this where it's a larger machine, it's a larger engine, you have to have the ability to sort of have that bird's eye drone view immediately and sort of assess the the situation. And I started to find more success during commercials when I would spend more of my time sort of assessing the pecking order of, of what people went through and how they went through this and where the battles are made and who who's sticking their neck on the line for this and what it is that they need, uh, while subconsciously also bringing whatever technique and skill that I've developed over time. But Instead of imposing that skill and technique on the job, it's a toolbox that I'm bringing to people that are already at battle, where it's like, hey, hey, I'm here to help you get through this and and to get to the next step and hopefully have a great time doing it. And maybe I'll learn a thing or two while I'm doing it, which, fuck, that's why I'm doing the fucking thing, you know? And then as you get through this process, in the back end, uh, the reward isn't necessarily... I think what a lot of filmmakers in the movie business want, which is like, I'm on stage going, look what I did. You know what I mean? It's not that. It's mm-hmm. it's the collaboration and the experience that you've had as a team and then watching something grow from this in very unstable and 
it's like, it's, it's like planting in front of a volcano. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that's a good way of saying it. And, you know, I was thinking while you're talking about it, cause it is like, it sounds like what you learned was to have a flexible mind. Yeah. And I think that's probably the number one thing I look for in writers. It's the number one thing I look for in directors. It's the number one thing I look for in almost every crew member is to have a flexible mind that this isn't this thing we all loved. It's not going to work. Yeah. So now what do we do? Yep. Rather than think I have to do this, this way. And that's the only way it works, which is, you know, how we all come in thinking this is my script. It must be brilliant. <laughs> no, it's not. Um, but, but it is like, especially in TV, because things change all the time. And there's the client, which is the studio and the network. And there's the creative, which are the writers and the showrunner. And, and there's also, you know, the prop doesn't look the way it needed to look okay. to get, to make this work. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And, and so how do we all come together and figure that out? Not because we're waiting for someone to tell us and which I guess that person to tell us is me. <laughs> Here's what we're going to do, um, which I'm capable of. But but that flexibility of mind of being able to pivot and deal with something in a different way or deal with an actor in a different way or deal with a scene, shoot a scene a different way, like we were talking about with Preacher. You know, those things, I think, is the most important thing of any television director, any anyone who wants to work in TV. Yeah. I, I learned a lot of that in the edit room, you know, for years oh, yeah. being an editor and and my philosophy on anything that I do right now is that it's not done until it's done. It's not done yeah. until we send it out. It's not finished. It will always, and can be, it can be cataclysmically changed in the edit room. Yep. Like everything yep. can be adjusted. And so none of it matters and all of it matters, of course, but none of it matters. And so yeah. you can build, I've built, epic shit from scraps in the edit room. So like, like it's, oh, yeah. you, you know, from heads and tails and you've built, I built performances that, are, that actors have won awards from, from heads and tails of their performances. <laughs> so, Oh yeah. Yeah. It's yeah, before, after they yelled cut yes. and you still happen to be rolling. <laughs> yes. Everybody's like that <laughs> contemplative moment. And I'm like, he was probably thinking about what was for lunch in that moment. That's right. He was like, do I really have to do it again? Yeah. But you got that frustration. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. Yeah, man, I think the edit room, and I, I I stress this to anybody that listens to the show consistently, whether you're a cinematographer, or even if you're a production designer, anybody that does anything on the team, you would be lucky to be in the edit room to see how things come together, because then you'll realize what you're stressing about doesn't fucking matter. And yeah. like in the end of the day, it's about getting it done. It's about getting the theme and the story, the overarc, like the tone across and not it like the details just slide and especially yeah. for especially for an audience that is like you know tapping in with their iv and like they're just <laughs> like give me give me entertainment and i will binge this you know yeah, and they're on their phones while they're tapping yeah. in <laughs> so. yeah. oh it drives me crazy i'll watch something and i'll be like did you see that and i look over and they're on their phone they're like oh we're here oh, what's going we hear what's going on and i'm like Fuck. it makes me crazy Fuck, dude. But yeah. yeah. No, no. This is great. I'm look, I'm yeah. really happy to meet you, Sarah. And I'm happy that uh 
we're talking about this stuff because I feel like showrunner is been it's sort of a mythology. It's it's not a mythology, but it's become like this sort of mythic thing at this point where you know people that are watching stuff, young folks that watch stuff on TV, they go, "Who's in charge? The showrunner," and that must be the most. You know, the fanciest, most, you know, well-paid position where you get to tell everybody what to do. And it's like, I don't know. To me, it always sounds like a storm chaser. You're like someone that's like in the middle of a tornado, like the whole day, you know? Yeah. 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 There's not enough armor. (laughs) (laughs) You're fighting on the front where I just walk around with my armor all day. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. Well... I, th- we're hitting the point where I should wrap this up, which is a sin because okay. I could talk to you for hours. Um, well, I so appreciate this. Yeah, it's been really great. And as we come to the end, uh, I usually ask uh, a question of uh, the guests uh, for advice. And I think it would be suiting to ask you. Um, if if you're a young writer that wants to eventually get into the position of show running, what do you think uh, some helpful advice would be for that? Um, Well, I think that the logistical path is not usually the right one. Like the rational path is not necessarily going to take you there. I think, Hmm. you know, becoming a writer's, becoming a PA in a writer's room, becoming a writer's assistant, sitting in a writer's room. Those are wonderful, wonderful things to do, but they're, that's one person for every, you know, six writers or 10 writers. Um, and those jobs are really hard to get. And, um, and I don't necessarily think you need them. If you can get a writer's assistant job, great. But I think really write, write for yourself because if you're writing to try to prove to somebody else that you can do what they do, it's just, it's never going to stand out. It's never going to touch anybody. It's never, you know, this is your, before you get paid is your last chance to write what you want to write and your (laughs) your last chance to really, you know, let your specific voice shine through. And so that's, I think, do it, just do it and then get it to as many people as you possibly can it's great advice it's great advice well sarah thank you so much for being on the show and thank you so much for sharing and uh being honest and uh and pretty cool to talk to you know well thanks mike you were very cool to talk to i had a lot of fear (laughs) (laughs) you had a lot of fear (laughs) listen i've been in war i have trauma All right, that's it. Today's episode was a lot of fun. I enjoyed talking to her. Uh, (laughs) We got in real quick. And uh, I love it, man. She's honest. Uh, She's gutsy. She's doing really great content. And it's, it's very inspiring to hear her just sort of find an opportunity and jump right into it and push hard and uh, get, find herself in one of the most stressful jobs in our industry. I would say that that is one of the most stressful jobs in our industry right now. You know, being a showrunner on these shows, it's, it's mammoth. It's, it's like the job of four people. It sounds like, you know, um, 
I dig her. I'm going to continue to follow her work. Uh, maybe we'll have her back on the show at some point in the future. Um, I hope you guys enjoyed uh, what we talked about. Let me know what you think. Send me a message on Instagram and, and tell me uh, that was cool. And uh, if, if you've noticed, if you follow me on Instagram, I'm Mike Petchy. I often will post people's comments and tag our guest in those comment posts so that they see it as well. So uh, if you give compliments uh, to Sarah, I'll make sure that she gets them. All right. Um, but other than that, like I said at the beginning of the show, things have been good. You know, pushing along, uh, trying to figure out what, as we get out of COVID, and as I sort of wait for uh, these film things to happen, I'm now in the mind of, okay, well, I've done everything I can possibly do, and I know that they're moving forward. Um, I now need to focus on some new shit. And I now need to like get my brain out of what I've learned about LA and what I've learned about uh, putting movies together and back into creation and back into uh, finding new ideas. And so that's where I'm at. I've been spending the past couple of weeks writing out new things and, and talking to a lot of folks and, and, and resettling my brain. Um, and I'm not there yet, but I'm working on it. Uh, I'm excited to shoot some new stuff. I'm excited. It's scary. It's exciting, um, to develop some new ideas. And, uh, you know, I just, you know, full transparency. I just got off a call with my buddies, uh, the Rasmussen brothers who I've had on the show. They, they wrote, um, uh, the ward, uh, and, uh, they are a really great resource and very sort of, man, they're very supportive and they're really great guys and they're fellow Boston guys. And we talked a lot about the industry and we talked a lot about creating content and, and how we have to continue to do so and continue to crank things out and continue to pull through, you know, the stress and the bipolar lives that we live as filmmakers and, uh, make sure that we're still circling around, um, you know, the reason why we're doing this because we love to tell stories, right? We love to do that. And maybe you don't, maybe you're just someone that loves to watch stories. And so we're here working for you, slaving away, trying to give you the content you need. Uh, so that way, when you come home after your, your long day at your job and you just want to fucking sit down and just fucking binge, baby. <laughs> We're doing this for you, you fucking cheeseburger eating bingers. Uh, but anyway, yeah, I'm just joking. I love you guys. Thanks for listening to the show. And uh, you know the deal. I will see you next Tuesday.